Good morning. My name is Doug Bridge. I'm the family ministry pastor here, which means I've got the best job on the planet. Um, I'm also here following in the footsteps of Matt Shires, who started this series, and then Doug Freeman last week. And now I get to wrap it up. Um, we're at a place in, in this short account of Haggai where something better happen fast. And it's only two chapters, so it happens pretty fast. So this week we're going to do something called the blessing of obedience. And before, uh, before I do a quick recap and get us rolling, I want to make sure that we're all at least coming at this from a, a similar thought, whether you agree with the thought or not. Um, you'll at least we'll know that that's where it's coming from. Um, it goes something like this. Even the people who have loved God for a long time don't really have a clue about who God is. We're constantly getting to know Him better and better. He is so far beyond what we can imagine that even when we think we know something about Him, we realize that we've only got this much of the, the picture. He's just an immense and amazing God. And the other thing is that if we're trying to follow God and we're trying to do the things in our lives that He wants us to do, we mess that up on a regular basis. And it's not because necessarily we're trying to, it's just that sometimes we get in our own way. And that's the setting that we're going to be looking at here. But I, I, I want to give you a, a little anecdote, if you will, that kind of gives us a, a picture of the kind of situation um, that, that we're talking about here with people in general, Christians in particular. The story goes something like this. The main character of this little story has decided to lose weight. Don't try to guess why I was looking at the joke, okay? And, and in this story about this person who's trying to lose weight, they've determined that they're going to take a number of steps so that they're not even tempted. And one of those steps is they're going to change the route to work. Because when they drive to work and when they drive home every day, they have to drive by that bakery. That bakery with the big, giant picture window on the front that has all those wonderful sweets, the donuts and the pastries and, you know, the very things that, that meet this person's sweet spot. So they opt out of that direct. They go another route. But wouldn't you know, weeks in, they're running errands and they drive by the bakery. And there it is, all the donuts, all the pastries, and a red light. <laughs> and now they have to sit there. And of course, being a good, godly, God-fearing person, their first words out of their mouth is, Lord, is this a sign? Is it possible, Lord, that because I've been so obedient and because I've been trying to follow you so diligently that you're going to allow me just this little break in, in my, my diet that this would be wonderful, Lord, except I, I don't know how to know that you, it's really you and not just me, so how about this? Lord, if you'll open up a parking spot right in front of that, that bakery, I'll know 
that it's your desire for me to go ahead and go in and have some of those donuts. And you know, it's amazing. It only took eight trips around the block (laughs) for that space to open up because God is good. (laughs) Our, Our desires, our understanding is so limited. We are, we are such creatures of our own existence that to look outside of that sometimes is difficult for us. And that was the case for God's chosen people years and years ago after being in captivity for over, well, for almost 70 years. A remnant was being allowed back into their old country, their homeland. They were allowed to go back into the city of Jerusalem And cities were more important then because cities offered protection as well as all the things that go with commerce and family life. And they were going to go back to rebuild Jerusalem and more important to rebuild God's temple. That was the key, rebuild God's temple. And by the time we get to Haggai, they've they've been there 14 to 16 years. The temple is still in ruin The city gates, the city walls are still a shambles. But boy, do their houses look nice. Their houses are looking great. They've spent a great deal of time making sure that their homes are wonderful. And I'm pretty sure that's not what God's upset about. It's the order in which they're doing things, isn't it? It's it's that they chose their own their own will over and against what God brought them to do. And truth be told, obedience just wasn't working for them. It just, you know, wasn't worth it. And so that's where we pick up. And if you're wondering why we're spending three weeks on a two-chapter minor prophet in the Old Testament, let me refresh for you a verse you're probably familiar with. It's in the book of Romans, and it's in chapter 15, verse 4. It says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So there is a purpose for all this going on. There's a purpose for us looking at it, and today we're looking at this idea of obedience. So let's look at our focus. True obedience isn't often accidental. Any more than, oh, trip, fall, look at that, I fell right into a million dollars. Oh, trip, fall, I, I ended up pleasing everybody like they wanted me to, and I didn't even know what I was doing. That doesn't happen that way, except maybe on rare occasion, which is why we had to leave the often in there. Um, If that's the case, then let's look at obedience. Slide number one, for those of you who like to fill in blanks, here we go, you get your first two. True obedience is not conditional. There's an interesting thing about obedience. It's the simplest idea, and yet it's such a hard thing to do. One definition that I came across read like this, obedience is to hear God's word and act accordingly. I mean, I'm sorry, 
Kids in children's church get that. They understand that. James 1.22 says something very similar, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. Our response to the call to obedience, though, is often perceived as something that's conditional, and we're talking about it not being conditional. Let's look at just a few examples of those conditions. There's the condition of convenience. You know, if it's not convenient, do I really have to obey? Um, oh, Mom, give me a minute. I'll put out the trash as soon as I finish this level. Maybe this game. Maybe later. There's the condition of comfort zones. I'd like to show God's kindness to my neighbor, but I just don't know them very well. And we probably don't have anything in common. Or if you're the Israelites back in Haggai's time, oh, we'd love to finish building the Lord's temple, but we have our families and livelihoods to think about first for 14 to 16 years. And then there's the condition of sacrifice. Well, you know, I'd love to serve somewhere on Sunday mornings, but Sunday's my only day off, and if I go to one service and I serve in another, that would be two services, and that would just kind of ruin my whole morning. You see, what God was asking of his people was something more than just a nice temple. That was going to be the end result of things, but what God was looking for was hearts that desired his will and hearts that were devoted to him and obedient to him. And so God reminds his people of a few things, and all I can say is, I'm glad I wasn't living then. Let's go ahead and look at that first section together. Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for a 20-bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refused to return to me, says the Lord. Now, some of you might be saying, those are God's parenting skills? But do you see what he's attempting to do? For 14 to 16 years, they have forgotten about God. They're not paying attention. And God knows something about us. You probably know this about yourself. It's not always convenient to talk to God. But when everything's going wrong, who's the first call you make? I'm after mom, of course. Talk to God. We talk to God. Lord, help me. I'm in this. And that's what God was hoping would occur. That in bringing these things into their existence, into their experience, they would come to a place of saying, oh, wow, we haven't even talked to God about this stuff yet. Maybe, maybe that's what's going on here. And so God's not in a position to just punish them. That's not his main goal. His main goal is to restore them, to bring them back to him. He's brought them back to their homeland. He's brought them back to their homeland with a purpose and they're just not putting the right things in the right order, which brings us to point number two. If you like two blanks, maybe you like this better. True obedience requires a right heart. True obedience requires a right heart. 
So this is where it gets really, really close to rubbing. Do I obey God for the blessing? Is he my heavenly vending machine? Or do I obey God because I love him and I want to please him and I want to bring honor and glory to his name? You might say, well, what's the difference? You did it anyway. Well, that's how we look at things sometimes, even with our kids. Well, at least they did the right thing. They might not have had the right attitude. God looks on our heart. He's constantly looking at our heart. That's the part of us that he wants to make sure is in tune with him. So this next little section of Haggai we're going to look at together, we might need some background in Jewish law, but we'll just pretend like we know that, okay? Um, Pretend you're a fifth grader. There's a show about that on TV anyway at one time, right? Being smarter than a fifth grader. You don't have to be today. I think we can figure this one out. Let's look at Haggai 2.12. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice, not something you've probably any of you done, me either for that matter, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? This is kind of like a little test. At least that's what the priests think is happening. Haggai, the prophet of God, is coming with a word from God, and here's question number one. Are they going to get it right? Well, they know the law. You and I might not know the law as well as they did, but the law was pretty clear. Um, Just because something's holy doesn't mean if it brushes up against something else, something else becomes holy. But wait, let's look at the next verse. Then Haggai asked, if someone, a person, becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And once again, these boys have their answer. They're ready for this. They know their law. Oh, we know this one. This is good. Yeah, we got this one. Yes. Yes. That's how it works. If somebody is ceremonially unclean and they touch anything, it becomes ceremonially unclean as well. That's how it works. Now let's look at one last one, the next verse in order. Then Haggai responded, that is how it is with this people in this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. And at this point, if you're wondering what what this all means, You can't take something holy and rub it up against something that's not and make it holy. But you can take something unholy, like sin, and rub it up against something and ruin it. You can defile it. Sin is is one of those things that's like a disease. It spreads like wildfire. Holiness is something that comes on each person individually. Bad company, we're told, corrupts. You know what we're not told? Good company cleanses. Good company is a good idea. Don't get me wrong. That's a great, great place to be, and the Bible speaks about being in the right company, but it never says that it cleanses anything, but it does say that bad company corrupts. It's kind of like spaghetti sauce. You know spaghetti sauce. Wherever you get it, it stains. But there, there's the, the rub, if you will, And there's some of the difficulty, which brings us to point number three. And you're really going to like this one if you like blanks. I always got to have one of these each time for you blank filler outers that, you know, just, 
I'm going to take half an hour making sure you spelled the word right, too, and you're the only one that's going to read it. Just saying, okay? You're not getting a spelling grade on this. But anyway, true obedience is commanded, not requested or suggested or options given to consider. An interesting notion here is that sometimes we get this idea that when Jesus says we're to do something, it's like, okay, what else you got? Because that doesn't sound good today. I'm not sure I feel like that. That doesn't sound convenient. That doesn't sound comfortable. Uh, That might require some sacrifice. I'm not ready for that today. Um, Let's look at a verse that you don't have to go to seminary to understand. You know, I almost hate it when Scripture's that clear. It's like, why go to another translation? It's so clear, it's right there. This is my command, love each other. Everybody know who's saying that? Thank you. Say it again. Okay, I want you to get used to that because I'm going to ask for some responses. Otherwise, it doesn't feel enough like children's church to make me happy here, so. All right. In case that needed a little explanation, let's back up in the book of John. To, uh, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, a new command I give you, love one another. And some of you that are Bible scholars in here are probably saying, whoa, back up the horses there. That's not a new command. I can go back to Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving one another is not a new command. But wait, there's more. Because it's not just love one another, is it? He continues to talk. And he says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you get this? I don't. I try to. And and even in preparing for you all, I'm not sure I completely get this because this is a command. This is not an option. I am to love you. All of you, no matter what. I am to love you to the point of laying down my life for you if necessary. Some of you I don't even know. No, I'm not going there. Shame on you. And if you weren't thinking it, good for you. You see, there's... This new part of the commandment is not a new part. It's, it's the big part. It's that loving like Jesus loved, loving with a total commitment, loving to the point of making you more important to me than me. Your needs have to come before my needs. Now, I'd like to say I've got that handled. At this point, I'm old enough I should. But it's something daily that we all are in need of remembering that this is critically important because it's not a suggestion, it's not an option, it's a command. So can you throw that picture of some fun people up on the screen for me, please? There's 17 people in this picture, sort of, if you count the cameraman. Um, This is the group that went down to Mexico just a couple weeks ago. It was our youth trip. We have a an adult trip and a youth trip. But if you start looking, there's only seven youth up there that you know, are under the categorization of, 
of youth. They are um, seven wonderful young people. What's fun is I got to go on this trip with them, um, and the reason that's fun is I've known some of them since they were little babies. I've known some of them since before they were born. I guess that's not technically possible, but you get the idea. Um, most people that go on our Mexico mission trip go because they want to have an impact for, for Christ. They, they want to get there and, and they want the niños, the, the orphans, there to, to be loved. One week, we're going to love on them. And other churches come and week upon week upon week, they get loved. And there were some dynamic things that happened. I go for that too. I'm not going to say that that's not a reason I go. But my number one reason that I go is I, I love to watch God break open the kids in our church and get them to see, sometimes for the first time, but at least in new ways, that God has some amazing gifts that he's given them. That they're going to have some amazing opportunities in their life. That they're going to have opportunity to love like they've never loved before. Without sleep, and not because they stayed up playing games. Um, without the food they normally like, because they didn't get an option. Um, without the support of all their family. But with the support of this group that became like family. It was a good time. It was amazing to watch God work. And he worked in the lives of the little kids too there. It was, it was one of those things where when we got to Thursday night, I didn't know how I was going to make it because I broke down on Monday. God was working on me too. It it is so great to be in a situation where you see God actively working. And isn't that what we all want in our lives? And that requires obedience to his will. In those conversations that, that sprang out of our devotions that we did together and our singing that we did together and our painting that we did, oh, the girls, girls dorm down there, 18 girls, I think, 14 girls in that room, and it's now pink and white. Boy, is it pretty. Wouldn't be, you know, my first choice, but those girls loved it. And our kids painted it. And men in our church tore, tore drywall off the of walls and got rid of mold and did all kinds of amazing things to, to make that a safer, uh, more beautiful place. That was all good, but in conversations between some of us old guys that were there, um, we were able to talk about Things like are in these verses. Love one another, so you must love one another. One of the old guys, oh, did I say that out loud? I did. That's okay. I include myself in that group. Um, over on the far left, the guy leaning against the doorpost of the van there, that's Tom Sanders. He's a neat, godly man. Um, it's exciting to have people in your church body that you can talk to about anything, including God's word. And, and in those conversations that we had, I was telling him about preparing for you all today and about John 13, 34 through 35, and he says, oh, 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 yeah, 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 wait, 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 I gotta think of it. And you gotta understand that that sometimes is a long pause when it's us old guys that are trying to think of it. But Tom has this really unique thing that he does when he studies God's word. 
He'll memorize it in English. He'll read it in different translations. But when he really wants to dig into something, he memorizes it in Spanish. So that in his memorization in Spanish, he has to figure out what those words are in Spanish. And he says, you need to hear something. 1 Peter 4.8 is like if, if you're doing cross-references, this would be a cross-reference to John 13. And in that cross-reference, what you'd find is that Peter's talking about this same thing, about how we're supposed to love one another. But, but the way Peter describes it is we're supposed to love one another profundamente. And it's like, I felt like a genius at that point because I didn't need a Spanish translator to know what profundamente meant. It's profoundly. Profoundly. How do I love profoundly? How do I do this in a way that when other people see me love you and you love me, that if they don't know Christ, they're stepping back and saying, oh my goodness, what is that? Who does that? Why do they do that? I want that in my life. This profound love, this profundamente is a deep, abiding concern and care for one another. And now I, I'm going to pick on some of the kids in this room that may or may not have, well, if you weren't in Pulse, it won't matter. I won't be picking on you. But if you were in Pulse this last season, we went through the books of the New Testament on Monday nights here with kids four years old through fifth grade, and we looked at um, what those books are and why God put them in the Bible in the first place. Could you flip that picture up there for me? Now, you all, being older than 12, can probably figure out the name of the New Testament book if you just play with it a little bit, but I'm not going to ask you yet. I just want to see if there's anybody in the room, any kids in here, that remember what this book is called. Yeah, go for it. Oh, yes! Like, Alex, you get like 10,000 gold stars, okay? Okay. I'm not sure what you'll do with them or where I'm going to find them, but you got them. All right? That's e-fishing. That was pretty slow. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's the letter E is fishing. So that reminds you the name of the book is e-fishing, Ephesians. And now, if you know the name of the book, that's great. But what's that book about? Well, it's not about strength. It's about what that guy is called. That guy is usually called a bodybuilder, and he's a bodybuilder, and obviously we're not worried about muscles here. We're concerned about the body of, thank you, good, now I'm getting comfortable, body of Christ. And so in this book of Ephesians, it's all about building up the body of Christ. That's the main theme of the entire book of Ephesians. And so, kids, we're going to look at a couple verses in Ephesians right now. You may or may not like this. I don't know. Children, obey your parents. And now they quit listening. <laughs> but no, keep listening, because this is great. It, it maybe will change things for you a little bit today. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. You see, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you belong to him. And you obey your parents, not for some of the reasons that you think, but you obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. 
This is the first commandment with a promise. And I love the fact that we have two things. Don't go to the promise yet, okay? Thank you. I see you nodding back there. Thank you. This, there's a difference between obeying our parents and honoring our parents. And I want to make it clear, especially for kids in here. And I'm going to use myself as an example. Because when I was six, when I was eight, when I was 12, I needed to obey my parents and obey my parents. Did I say that twice? I needed to obey my parents and honor my parents. There we go. Now at this age, I no longer need to obey my parents. But I still need to honor my mother and my father. And what's great in in my specific case, they have made that so easy for me. It is one of those things that parents, if you don't make honoring you easy for your kids, you might want to rethink some parenting. You may want to go back and and rehash some of these things because there's another verse somewhere else that says something about fathers not, you know, causing their kids to be all infuriated and upset. Not our job. So there's that for you that are still living under the authority of your parents. Now here's a rough one, James 4, 17. We're not putting it up on the screen. It just says this. It says that if you know what the right thing is to do and you don't do it, then to you it is, oh, you're afraid to say it. I heard a lot of S's. So we'll try it one more time. You know what to do that's right, but you don't do it. It's Hmm, you did know. We all know that, don't we? And there have been three occasions in my life where I have heard this. Well, then I'm not reading any more of God's word. You follow the logic? If I, if I learn what, what it is to do right, then I'm, I'm liable to do what's right or I'm going to be sinning. I, I'd rather be ignorant. Well, there's a whole other section of scripture you'd need to look at for that one, but... Um, We know we're to love one another. We know that that's going to take sacrifice. That's going to be inconvenient. That's going to be uncomfortable. And yet, we're called to do that. It's a command, not an option. And if we know that and we don't do it, we're not where we belong. We're sinning. Last point. Not as many blanks because we've got to wrap this up. True obedience means to do first things first. Do first things first is a core statement of Verde Valley Christian Church. It's one of about six. And in that, uh, it didn't just get plucked out of the air because it sounded nice. It actually comes from Scripture. Can you toss that up there for us, please? Thank you. Oh, I forgot to do that part. Are you kidding me? That's the best part. Because kids, that commandment of, of obeying your parents, thank you. If you hadn't done that, I'd have just kept right on going, ran over it like a truck. Um, if you obey your parents, there's a promise. It's the first commandment that ever had a promise with it, and the promise is right there. Things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. That's a blessing. That's huge. And it's not just a, you know, maybe. It's a It's a promise. And, and if some of you right now are sitting there thinking, oh, man, I blew my entire youth. I, well, don't know what to tell you. 
So that's that, that promise that comes with it. Now can you give me Matthew 6.33? Sorry about that. The thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants. Then all these other things you need will be given to you. You might recognize that from another translation that you learned it in at one time. But this is the International Children's Bible, which I like to go to often. It puts it in pretty simple language. The thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants. Then all these other things you need will be given to you. Honor God first thing. That sets the tone for the whole day. Give God the first day of the week. Well done, good and faithful servants. Right here. All right, first day of the week. You've done that. You've re, you're here with uh, his followers, and we're spending time worshiping him. We're spending time worshiping him in the word. Uh, we're spending time in fellowship together. Then honor God and celebrate his provision with the first part of all that he provides. He provides our time, our talent, and our treasure. So we should honor him with the first of these. And when we're talking about the first of these, we're talking about the best, the beginnings, the first fruits, not the leftovers. Well, you know, gosh, it's already 10.30, and I, I'm just dead tired. I got to go to bed. It's late. I'll, I'll read the Bible twice tomorrow. That's giving God the leftovers. We want to give him the very first, the very most important and no, if you thought that was 10.30 for real, silly you. The amazing conclusion we can reach from looking into these accounts of Haggai is that God wants to bless and God wants to restore. That's what God is all about. And if you'd like to know what those blessings are, I'm not going to tell you. It's only two chapters long. You can go home and read it yourself, okay? It's a short one. Find out what those blessings are that God had for them. It's pretty amazing what he promised. But I'd like to, to wrap up with two quotes from two Christian men that I admire greatly. First one was Chuck Swindoll. He made such a simple statement that it's profundamente. Jesus didn't come to earth to establish a new religion. He came to restore a broken relationship. So if you came here today and you were wondering about what religion this church has, we don't got one. There ain't one here. It doesn't exist. This church is not about religion. This church and its people are about a relationship with Jesus Christ and his Father. And if that sounds like something that's appealing, then we're going to be praying a prayer together in just a moment that I hope is helpful. The second person was A.W. Tozer. I never got to hear him personally. He was a little before my time. But he said, God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. You see that full circle that we've come since we started? We have this interesting view of God. God, if you just open that space in front of the bakery, I'll know it's you. More donuts? No, bigger than that. Bigger than that. So hopefully this prayer, for those of you whose next step is to consider a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe these words will help you formulate what it is you're thinking of doing. If you've already had that relationship with Jesus Christ for years, decades, then maybe this is a time to uh, recommit to that idea of total submission to God and true obedience to him. 
So if you'd like to pray this with me, you're welcome to. If you just want to sit and consider, that's fine as well. Dear God, I need your help in following you in true obedience. God, create a pure heart in me. Give me a new spirit that is faithful to you. Help me to put your kingdom first and do what you want me to do in my life every moment of every day. Thank you for not asking anything of me without also offering your help and your direction. God, I want to live for you and experience your love in ways that are too great to even understand. Thank you for your amazing grace and love. Amen.